Looking for a way to level up your coaching and win more? Get better fast with GMS Plus. GMS Plus is your on-demand source for the best, most proven volleyball courses, drills, stats, videos, tips, and much more. Learn from some of the game's winningest coaches and players, including Heather Olmsted, Keegan Cook, John Spraw, Mike Wall, and Courtney Thompson. I've learned a great deal from Gold Medal Squared, as have many of our guests. Whether you're trying to win a state championship or an Olympic gold medal, GMS Plus will help you get there. And we have a Coach Your Brains Out code for listeners. To get 20% off an annual subscription, go to goldmedalsquared.com slash CYBO and enter the code CYBO. That's goldmedalsquared.com slash CYBO. Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond. With your hosts, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen. Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out. We have a special episode here. National champion, MVP of the AVP, head coach of LMU Beach, my one-time opponent, current coach, John Mayer. Welcome to the show. You've been on the show a few times. Yeah, thanks for having me back. First time <laughs> caller, long-time listener. How's that go? Um, one-time opponent. We're not opponents anymore. Now we're yeah, we're we're co-hosts. We're on the same team. Yeah, nah, we were always on the same team. I was always pulling for you unless we played each other. Yeah, that's true. You Why have... am I the guest? What's going on here? Yeah, so um, for those of you listening, John Mayer is our fearless leader of this podcast. But often we hear you as an interviewer on the show, um, and you know, in motor learning for coaches, you ask a lot of great questions, and we thought it was time to turn the tables and uh, learn from you and put you in the hot seat. Can't say I like this side. I think I like the other side asking questions, but we'll see if this makes it to air. All right. Well, I thought of a lot of um, questions that I had for you, and I was going to ask some guests to ask questions too, but I had so many that I just scratched that idea. So um, this is mostly for my personal gain. Um, I have a lot of questions. I, a lot of them lean towards practice design and then maybe some culture, but We'll kind of just see where it goes. So you ready to go? So we're not actually recording. It's just you and I talking yeah, about yeah. your practice. Oh, I, I probably okay. won't post Got this. it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Perfect. So John, on my arm swing. No, um, I guess to start, <laughs> uh, how do you gather your principles and your ideas? I, you know, I think for the most part, probably from people that I respect, um, people like Tom Black have been a big influence. You know, Marv Dunphy, who coached me at Pepperdine. Um, and then been lucky it's for sure through the podcast, making lots of connections. Um, people like Andy Bass, Casey Kreider, Harjeev Singh, and, and many, many others who have spent time zooming with me, talking about things, breaking things down. Uh, and yeah, having like just through those discussions, I mean, like reading books has been helpful, reading research papers, all those help like discover, you know, principles and help me refine them. But really just learning and talking with and discussing ideas with people I respect and watching coaches uh, implement them has is, is probably been the most helpful. And I know you like read a lot. I would say more than most coaches I know read a lot of papers and stuff that have nothing to do with volleyball. How do you know some of that research, um, some of those uh, experiments like pertain to volleyball? Like how does that, how do you know it transfers when they're talking about maybe a, a different kind of subject? 
I don't think you do. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's just the hard part of it is that it's not certain and that's part of the deal. And that's, I mean, as I've evolved a lot as a coach, you have to keep an open mind about new things that come out. But I think there's, you know, things that apply when it's, I don't know, something like tennis, another net sport or movement and basketball. And, and, you know, they're studying fellow humans and what helps them improve. I think there's enough transfer to a sport like ours that has some of those components of running, jumping, working with people in the same uh, space. So yeah, I guess maybe there's a little bit of just trust. I, w I wouldn't call it, um, I wouldn't call it like faith. I would call it uh, just trust in our academic rigor and, and in science and, and just, you know, realizing that volleyball doesn't have a ton of money and we, it's not like we can have every little thing studied. So we have to rely on, on the best that we have. So this is the best that we have at this moment. So that's, yeah, it's much better than opinion or just doing it how it's always been done. Nice. And, uh, so we've been doing coach your brains out for a long, long time now. And we've had a lot of, remember when we used to do like, uh, episodes where we, we do like our 50th episode and we were all proud of ourselves. Yeah. Now we can't even keep track of the years. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I have no idea what episode number this is some point when, we'll just when do you think will be our, our our last episode when will it be over uh we're going forever our kids are going to take over <laughs> uh, um, but with all we'll those see. all those guests there's been so many different subjects and topics it can be pretty overwhelming um i guess if you were in charge of running a club club fugazi and you had some new coaches on staff <laughs> what would be like the and you had like you know you have a little bit of a little coaching conference with them, what would be like the big rocks you'd go over to make sure, um, yeah, they're getting the most other players and coaching the way you'd, you think is effective. Yeah. I guess I'd first just tell them that this, this job's really important and it's, uh, it's something we have such a big influence over people's lives that it's, it's something worth investing in our education and, and pushing ourselves to improve. Um, so yeah, I guess I'd start there and then, you know, I'd set some principles, but I'd, I'd hope that they'd be curious and look to um, maybe read up on, on some of the research we do have or try to learn more about what effective coaching is like. But yeah, I guess from a volleyball perspective, and then I guess just any, really any team for my, the first one I thought of was let's make our first job and our first goal to make sure that we, we do everything we can to get these kids to want to come back tomorrow. And for them to beg for practice to keep going so that they have a love for this sport and a love for, for, uh, I guess a healthy relationship with, with sport and with exercise and hopefully with volleyball so that they want to keep playing this game for a long time. And I think part of that is, you know, having our learning be through games and, uh, games are fun. I mean, games are frustrating and hard too, but I think generally kids love games and they're a fun way to learn. So that, that would be a principle we'd want to have the learning happen there versus through kind of rote repetition or drills. Uh, definitely push uh, the idea from motivational interviewing of strength finding glasses, like really making sure when you walk into the gym, you put those on and you show lots of care for, for the kids. And, and I mean, even if we like didn't understand anything about biomechanics or motor learning principles, and if we just cared a lot for the kids and, and listened to them and show, showed that we, 
we really saw them and saw them as people and, and learners that goes a long way. So I think that's important. And then if you put on top um, some of the motor learning principles, you got a good deal. Uh, I guess the last one that comes to mind would be that we would want to be the provider of problems instead of solutions. We, we don't want to develop robots. We want to develop you know, learners and people that can solve hard problems and we want to help them discover their soft skills, things like initiative and, and adaptability and problem solving, all these things. And I guess as I'm saying this, it's kind of interesting because I remember coaching at Santa Monica College with you. And I think you were, you were coaching the setters and this was what, 2000, maybe 2008. So at over almost 15 years ago. I remember telling you the exact line, like, all right, the setters, we got to have them be robots. Like, here's the way you got to have them be repeatable and move the perfect way and do this over and over. So it's, it's on reflection. It's, it's interesting to think about, um, how different my perspective and worldview is now and probably would have made fun of what I'm saying right now. But do do you remember that? Uh, I remember that thinking that, well, if it was a really good robot and fast, they could probably hit the target a lot. Um, but yeah, I, I still think, you know, even though maybe we had a different coaching style, still practice was was challenging and game-like and there were a lot of really good things going on. So don't beat yourself up too much. <laughs> yeah, I still feel bad. It's used to people, see people like Mark Sherman, who's the voice of the AVP and, you know, we coached him. It's like, gosh, I could be so much of a better coach for you now and see players from the past. But I think that goes into like why the piece of caring for people is so important. And if you mess up some of the other stuff that, that mm-hmm. fades away, all the players that I've talked to, they're never like, Oh, you should have used the constraints led approach. You know, there's, yeah. you know, they talk about the way you made them feel the relationships they had with their fellow teammates. Like that's the stuff that's really lasting. Yeah. I mean, he could have been an all American somewhere, but he'll take having a, a good relationship with you. Sorry, Mark. <laughs> um, so I guess going into that, problem provider how does that influence your practice so i assume in the past it was like i'm going to come in and like teach these keys and get them better at this uh how do you look at it now when you're i guess planning practice as the problem provider it's definitely very different yeah i think before i came in is i've got the answers and you know oh they've got to figure they've got to um i'll tell them how to move and then they've got to figure out how to actually do it and i'll keep them on track um yeah, now it's very flipped and it's it's the opposite of the the school system where there's a more linear progression and there's um step by step and there's maybe the right answer in lots of systems. Um so yeah, it's it's different in that I come to practice trying to find the most relevant problem and 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 the athletes are working we're, we're co-designing what the most relevant problem is and using some stats and data and and from there yeah the the problems are usually i mean can start broad from every anything to like you know the main problem to solve is saving aces you're getting aced a lot and um you know there's that's that's the idea can you can you save some aces and create some more swings and uh put you in different environments so you can try to solve it you know lower the net so the serves come faster Maybe have you start in different positions or you got to fight off deep serves more often. Um, but I'm not here to say this is how you save bases. You, you know, you've got to step with your life left foot and open up 45 degrees and have your platform be straight and simple. Um, I'm here to give you the environment that allows you to, to discover and explore and self-organize towards 
a solution for you. So that way you can build this skill and the movement adaptability on top of this, this, uh, you know, soft skill, this non-cognitive skill of being a problem solver of being someone who doesn't rely on the coach, but relies on their own abilities, their own initiative, their own skill set to do hard things. So I see it as a win in lots of ways. Uh, I think players find it frustrating, especially initially, but if you're persistent about it and stubborn about it, like I am, uh, there's usually a big payoff and, and they definitely see in performance that they're very capable. So, so you mentioned relevant problems, relevant challenges, I guess, yeah, it would be easy just to make practice hard and to challenge them. How do you decide on what's relevant as just observing them and where they're falling short? I think, you know, it helps to, to know the sport, right? I wouldn't know what's relevant in rugby. You know, I'd be, I'd be a mess, but in volleyball, thanks to people like Joe Trinzi, you know, we understand what happens the most, you know, every place, we don't need Joe to know this, but every play starts with a serve. So we know that's going to happen a lot. So there's uh, value in spending time on solving the problem of figuring out how to get the other team in lots of trouble. Um, and, you know, things like serve receive obviously have a big influence. So understanding that, you know, getting really good at pancakes and indoor volleyball might be fun, but it's probably low on the influence of the match. Maybe we get one point out of it where, you know, being able to um, set a hitter in rhythm is going to lead to lots of points. So understanding that, but it, to get more specific, I mean, going back to Joe Trinzi, we're really, really lucky at LMU that he does a lot of analysis and helps us discover for each player and each team profile. Or, uh, um, you know, we've got to look at film and study the film and look at all their transition attacks on the left. And is it because their dig quality is a little erratic or is it the set not keeping in rhythm or is it their approach or, you know, what are their hitting decisions? So, you know, once we have some data, we can start to going to practice and but i guess if you don't have the most important skills in our sport and then you take a look at it and see where you know where your deficiencies deficiencies are um or you can use pen and paper and, and chart it and use joe's triangle going back to just i guess the nuts and bolts of how you plan practice um do you like what's your process do you come in with specific objectives take us behind the scenes kind of depends on the time of year and you know, we were talking about this on the episode with uh, Andrew and Nils, and it's interesting hearing like Andrew's got such a, he's got a like, Google sheet and I've seen his, like, I've seen him doing it on like a typewriter and he's got just an art artistic kind of side to him and the way he approaches it. And like, I think I'm very different. I've got this like beat up notebook and like go back to past ones and see what I did. I just, I'm much more organic about it. I, I usually try to wait till... Like I know some people like, I, well, I guess going back another step, I used to plan out, especially when I was approaching it more in a linear fashion, I'd map out the whole fall. Like we'll do serve receive this day, serving that day, transition attacking on October 5th. And, you know, I'd be adaptable, but that was, I'd kind of like have a, a more um, linear, like a, a blueprint of what we do. And now I, I really try to wait till the day before. So if we practice in the morning, you know, we go through practice and then I reflect and, and, and then I think about, you know, what, what stood out here, what's the most relevant problems for our next practice. And, and then again, I use some, some data. I use like, you know, I look at Joe's stats and that, that helps uh, inform the, the activities. But um, yeah, from there, just, I don't know, pen and paper and just kind of scratch it out and uh, review it a couple of times and update it and then go to work. 
And do you go back to your old practice plans for ideas or do you like to just kind of rethink it fresh every single time? Yeah, I never, I probably would be better coach if I did, but I never go back. I, I'm moving forward. I, I probably have forgotten activities I liked and probably there's stuff that I've lost through the years. So there's maybe some, some downside to that, but I guess it ends up me always, not always. I mean, I have like just go-tos, so, mm -hmm. but maybe it helps me keep an open mind and helps me improvise. Um, so yeah, it, it's always just fresh and whatever. Yeah. I'm not looking back. I guess I'm looking more forward. Well, every day you, you learn more, so you're just a better coach <laughs> than you were yesterday. So yeah. why go back? I mean, I imagine if you looked at like, if you looked at my practice plan two years ago, there'd be some that are like the exact same. And even five years ago, you'd see a lot of the, like a lot of similar things. So I, I wouldn't go that far. I think it, uh, probably just cause I'm not that organized. <laughs> no, I think it's, yeah, I do the same thing. I like, I like to just rethink practice from scratch every time. And like, yeah, it just helps you maybe reevaluate and challenge what you're doing uh, and rethink it versus just kind of come in on autopilot. This is my passing drill. Yeah. I, I like I like that part of it. So can you talk about the difference between performance and learning? Give it a shot. So yeah, we had Mark Williams on the show who wrote the best and, and he's the man. And he's, you know, if you really want to read up on it, listen to him. Um, but yeah, basically that, that there's this paradox that, that when we I think what we, what we do is a lot of times we go into practice and we want to see performance and we want to see everything going well and going smoothly and the players improving but that isn't what effective practice is because that's not going to lead to any learning or any growth because they're already doing what they're good at. What a effective practice would look like is, you know, like we know, like lots of mistakes, really messy and, and uh, people exploring, people learning, people making changes. And then if it's effective, it's going to transfer to performance. So yeah, there's this real difference when we're watching, when we're observing practice, we're not looking for performance. We're not looking for perfect execution. We're looking for exploration. We're looking for mistakes. That doesn't mean when we go to performance, there's going to be this like perfect, you know, situation going on, but they're going to be releasing whatever they, you know, explored and practiced. They're going to be releasing those skills and, and hopefully playing freely and, and then performing. So, yeah, I guess there's this, there's this paradox. And I think a lot of people want to see, high level performance in practice. And that is not what high level practice, um, is like, again, read up on Mark Williams. He'll explain it better. Mm -hmm. Um, so I guess as coaches, how can we foster that, that learning environment? Everyone talks about it. I feel like there's all the, like the cliches, right? Like get comfortable being uncomfortable and um, you know, we love mistakes and I don't know, there's, all, I can't even think of all of them, but people have all the cliches, but I think it's just really difficult to do that because there's this history in coaching and I think there's an expectation from parents and, and probably expectation from players that I want to see improvement in this moment. I want to have this linear progression of me. Okay. You told me to do something now I can pass better. And, you know, this was a good practice because I'm passing better right now in this moment. But the, the reality is, is that's, yeah, that's not, 
that's not what happens. So we, yeah, we have to spend time explaining it to our players, explaining it and, and reminding ourselves as coaches that we won't know what we're doing right now. If we're help trying to work with a passer that we won't know if this is, you know, long-term effective until weeks later. Uh, and if, if they're actually going to be learning, then they're going to be engaging with things that are difficult and there's going to be lots of plays where they're, they're struggling and making mistakes. So, yeah, I guess you just have to keep, I, I think it's a constant reminder, just reminding yourself that, that practice is a search practice is messy practice. Um, learn learning is not going to be seen right in front of your eyes. You're not going to see in this moment, instant learning. Um, it doesn't show up till days, weeks later. And when it does come time for performance, um, at a tournament or competition, uh, does your role as a coach change? I know you mentioned you were the the problem provider of practice. Uh, does that change at all when it comes to tournaments? I don't know the answer to this. Not, not that there is like one answer. Uh, and I don't know if there's any research, but I'd imagine it's some sort of blend. I think probably in an ideal world and, and for long-term learning, you would try to continue to be the provider of problems. And yeah, I mean, I try to do that a lot. Like I'll, I'll stat things and I've done it with you, you know, we're in the second set and Hey, you know, try to highlight a, a positive, like we're digging a ton of balls. Like you guys are digging, we're all over them, but you know, we're not killing the ball in transition. So that's the problem to solve. What do we want to do to kill more balls in transition? And hopefully that sparks a dialogue among the team. Um, you know, maybe you would say, you know, last week, Jeremy, I'm going to try to dig higher so you can get your hands on it. Or Jeremy's going to say, uh, I'm going to set, let's see if we can run some more tempos and play faster in transition. So hopefully I've, I've sparked, you know, got, gotten your focus on the, the most relevant problem. I think what happens a lot in matches is you remember the one overpass we hit in the net and that's all you come in the timeout, like, God, we got to hit overpasses. What are we doing? <laughs> but what's, that's one point where there's been, you know, 10 points in transition where that's been the real difference. So I think that's, that's the, you know, I think the ideal scenario of trying to do that as much as possible, but I mean, there's times in performance you feel really lost and you feel like you're in a fog and a coach can be there to, to not so much give the answers, but offer suggestions. Like, yeah, maybe something like that. I'd say, you know, how are they defending you in transition? It seems like they're pulling a lot, you know, how, do, are they running angle blocks a lot or, you know, trying to guide you to, to maybe a, a solution and time short, you know, maybe you got a minute. So you just got to get to it. Hey, they're, they're running an angle block and transition. We got to shoot over the angle way more. Um, and let's go. So I think you got to be open-minded about it. Ideally continue to find the most relevant problems, but there's times where people, you know, need more direct and um, something that can help them in that moment. The goal is to win, but then keeping the long term in mind. If if they're continually relying on you, then they're not developing that problem solving skill and, and match as much. So I think try to blend it. Yeah, it is weird, especially when you think about separating learning and performance, because I mean there's a lot, lot to learn in, in tournaments and competition too. Um but yeah, I guess it's a different mindset. But but I think keeping the long term in mind, like the and I think what I try to do is the first like 50% of the year and especially the preseason I keep challenging myself like all right you know don't give you know try to provide problems try to guide and then you get to the end of the year like I haven't figured out by now I gotta tell them (laughs) season's almost over yeah Uh, but no I think if you know if you're really about development then I think you continue to 
try to find the right balance of of both guiding, providing some answers, and then providing lots of the the most relevant problems. Yeah. Um, when it comes to teaching a new skill, how do you teach it? Do you model it? Do you describe it? Um, yeah, if you're working with a player that's never done something. I don't work with too many people these days who have never done it before. Um, so I don't know if I, I know. I'd first start start with the goal. Like the goal of passing is to pass it to a spot where your setter can set you. Uh, and try to yeah point out that that this is the goal of it so then they can put their attention there and then you'd give them lots of chances to experience experience it you know serving balls maybe bowling some balls if they're a real beginner over the net and then you'd observe how they're trying to solve that problem of passing it to a spot where their setter can set it um and from there i mean if i don't know i guess if it was like a true beginner and they're like doing illegal things you'd have to say oh that's not legal like you can't like for a setter like you can't double it you have to you know contact it at the same time maybe there that's where you'd have to step in and model it and show like all right watch you know watch me pass one and make it to do some observational learning and then okay you try to do do something like that um maybe you'd you'd have a phone and film them a couple times so they could see themselves and some more observational learning but yeah definitely not an area of expertise for me um but i definitely would start with giving them a goal and then observing how they tried to self-organize around it. Another topic that you've we've talked about lately that I like is uh, the challenge point. I guess, can you get into that and explain what challenge point theory is? Yeah, I could try again. It's a, it's, I think a really intuitive idea. It's not a surprise to any coaches just that there's this, some people call it like the gap or this kind of op zone where there's you know enough challenge and uh and enough success so i think usually it's like you can succeed between like four out of ten to like seven out of ten so if you're able to do something accurately ten out of ten you're you're not being challenged you're not growing you're just kind of staying the same that's read plateau and if you could only do it one out of ten two out of ten you'd, you'd be drowning and and um not growing either because you're so overwhelmed. So the sweet spot is, is finding that spot where someone's on the edge of their abilities and, and, uh, having some success and having some failure. And, and, and yeah, I think that's, that's where you'd find the challenge point. And I, I think something I've thought about is like, can we, can we grow the challenge point of a player or of our team? Like maybe, maybe for the average person, they need to succeed eight out of 10 and their challenge point you know, is higher. It seems like the learning would be slower. I mean, this might be a harebrained idea, but like, what if we could grow our team to believe so much in this that, you know, they can get to the point where they're like the lower end, like four out of 10, they, you know, so they're really being challenged and really being pushed and, and we've expanded, you know, what's possible for their challenge point. Um, so, yeah, but that's the general concept. So if I'm doing something and I'm being, I'm failing so much, I can frame it as in other, I mean, this is better learning because you're challenging me more even like, so you kind of like to knock out that frustration. That's kind of the goal. I'd imagine that's some of the reason why, you know, like motivation would be a big factor. Like if, if you, you know, if you're failing 80% of the time, it's hard to continue to go back to it. 
Where if you see like a kid, you know, there's the, like the great skateboarding video that Trevor Reagan has shown or, or kids at a skate park, how they'll just like over and over, like go and fail and go and fail and go and fail. And I imagine because they're like the stick-to-itiveness and they have the motivation, even though they're failing, like, I don't know what it is, 90% of the time, I imagine they're learning faster and growing mm. more, more effectively where other people would try you know, a couple times and, and that'd be it. Maybe you'd give up. So it's definitely personality dependent. It's probably some culture and some explanation from coaches and experience, like trying to grow this, this bandwidth of, yeah. How much frustration can you, can you sustain and how motivated can you stay? Uh, even when you're, you're not succeeding. Yeah. And it's, yeah. When you're in practice and you're really struggling and sucking, um, yeah, it's hard to keep that in mind that, um, this is great. I'm being challenged. Um, so this would be <laughs> yeah. like, this is the best <laughs> challenge. So challenge point, um, and maybe we had less learning would be one of those drills where like, Hey, the team has to pass a hundred perfect balls in a row before we, we move on or something that I can do over and over and over. That would be on the other end of the spectrum to be avoided possibly. I guess if, uh, if they got a hundred out of, you know, 101, then that wouldn't be much of a challenge point. <laughs> you know, if it was like, I don't know, or 120 serves and they got a hundred. I mean, there's still some failure there, some mistakes there. So it depend out of how many, uh, and it would depend how, how representative it was. But yeah, if it was a hundred in a row, that, that doesn't seem like we're doing any learning. That would just be, that would just be repetition. And I don't, yeah, I don't think it would be improvement. Yeah. I like that. I like the idea with the challenge point, instead of using a, a drill goal as a measurement of our progress, like, Hey, we used to only do this at four out of 10 and now we're like 10 out of 10. Look how much we've grown to kind of keep escalating, I guess the challenge point, right. So that you're always maybe at that whatever, four out of 10, six out of 10 as the season progresses. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I think most people go the other way where it's like, they set up the game, you know, we've got to get 20 in a row and, you know, and th three tries and, and yeah, they, they see it as success that it's getting easier. We're getting closer and they keep it the same constraints, you know, 20 in a row, three tries where I think, yeah, you want to go the other way. Like, let's find that, that zone. Since we got better at today, like, let's up it now. Let's go 25 and two tries. Uh, so continuing to raise that, that, that level and find that, that appropriate zone. <laughs>